What's happening, everybody? On today's show, we're going to catch up with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey as we sit down with him to discuss everything from conference realignment to the NIL, who should police it, and much more. Also, we'll go around the conference as Tennessee gets hit with a notice of allegations for 18 NCAA violations. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are Locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidate you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash College. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Chris Gordy. Thank you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Remember, Locked on SEC is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube and LockedOnSEC.com. Let's jump into it. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. Around the conference. And we start over at Tennessee as Jeremy Pruitt's remains on the Tennessee program still very much being felt as the Knoxville News Sentinel reported a 51-page report that covers over uh, 18 NCAA violations, $60,000 of cash and gifts given to football recruits and players by Jeremy Pruitt, his wife, number of coaches, staff, and boosters. All the violations are level one, the most serious in the NCAA's four-level infraction structure. Tennessee's made numerous changes in an athletic department and football staff in the wake of the Jeremy Pruitt era and, of course, following the fallout of all these allegations in the NOA, the NCAA credited Tennessee for self-reporting violations and included their exemplary co- cooperation in the investigation. It also did not find the school lacked institutional control, which is a significant decision that likely removes the program from big-time punishment. The NCAA says Pruitt and his staff gave players cash and gifts throughout his tenure with the Vols from 2018 to 2021. It says that his wife, Casey Pruitt, paid more than $15,000 in rent and car payments for a Tennessee player and his mother over two and a half years. Paul Feinbaum on his show Friday afternoon, right when this news broke, said that uh, Tennessee's situation feels much different from that of Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze. He said that uh, Tennessee's is going to get less attention because of the thin line between what's illegal and what's not. He said, I don't think Tennessee's going to get shut down over this. I'm not really sure they're going to be hit that hard because they reacted and they jumped on it. He said, this reflects more on Philip Fulmer than really anyone else. He said, I was in favor of him returning as the athletic director. Thought it would be a great return. I felt like Fulmer was going to bring everyone together. Instead, he turned out to have made one of the most coaching decisions any athletic director has ever made. So we will see what ends up happening to Tennessee. But, of course, us being in the NIL world now you know people like Tennessee and Will Wade you know is it that despicable to talk about paying recruits and players when it's kind of happening legal now very interesting we'll see what happens with Tennessee and any kind of punishment the uh, SEC media days of course wrapped last week we still got plenty of uh, content and interviews to bring you from that over the next couple weeks here on Locked on SEC, but the media delivered their annual post-SEC Media Days predictions for the league's order of finish. In the East, they've got Georgia getting 172 first-place votes, Kentucky 
They got four first-place votes, finishing second there. Uh, Tennessee, they think, will finish third in the East with one first-place vote. Florida, fourth. South Carolina, fifth. They did get three first-place votes. Missouri, sixth. And how about Vanderbilt? Ridiculously finished dead last in the East, like most people would say. They got a first-place vote. Take that guy's vote away. Uh, in the West, they predict, of course, Alabama. They got 177 first-place votes. Texas A&M. They predict will finish second. They got three first-place votes. Arkansas predicted to finish third. They got one first-place vote. Uh, they also think Ole Miss will finish fourth, LSU fifth, Mississippi State sixth, and Brian Harson's Auburn team dead last in the SEC West at seven. Will the media be right? Probably not because they get a lot of these things wrong, so it'll be fun to see uh, what happens uh, You know, after the season. Let's go back and review these and see who was right uh, on the order of finish. In recruiting news, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher picking up some good news as a four-star offensive tackle recruit out of New Jersey. Chase Basantis has announced his commitment to play in the SEC. He announced it on Sunday. He's the number one recruit in the state of New Jersey. Six foot five, 290 pounds, the number nine offensive tackle in the class of 2023. He has reported 36 offers and wrote in his announcement that it was easily the hardest decision he's ever made. It's a sixth commitment for the Aggies in this class. Meanwhile, athlete Nasir Addison, he is on his way to Kentucky. Uh, on Saturday, he revealed his commitment to the Wildcats during an Instagram live broadcast. He's listed six foot two, 181 pounds, rated as a three-star wide receiver. He's also the number 21 prospect out of the state of New Jersey. He's the 13th commitment for Kentucky in this 2023 class. Meanwhile, Kentucky also added a transfer DB in London Craft coming over from Mississippi State. He's originally from New Mexico, was with the Bulldogs for five seasons. His most productive year was in 2020, where he had 56 tackles in 10 games. So a nice addition there for Coach Mark Stoops. Meanwhile, Tennessee, they picked up a commitment for 2023. On Friday, wide receiver Nathan Leacock announced he's going to Knoxville, six foot three, 200 pounds, rated a three-star, and uh, number 77 wide receiver in this class. He's Tennessee's 19th commitment. That class currently ranks seventh in the nation. Over Georgia, offensive lineman Kelton Smith, he committed to Georgia over the weekend. Four-star recruit out of Columbus. Six foot five, 300 pounds, the number 10 interior offensive lineman, number 20 recruit from the state of Georgia. And safety Jonel Aguero headed south out of Massachusetts to go play for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's six foot five, 195 pounds, rated a four-star, the number three safety in this class, number 34 overall prospect. He was named one of the top performers at the recent Future 50 camp. He's the second highest rated commitment in Georgia's 2023 recruiting class, which is ranked number three on the composite with 17 commitments. He's the fifth commitment for Kirby Smart this month. So I guess it pays to go ahead and give Kirby his big payday. And then uh, you know, once you have that commitment going, you know the commitments are going to follow from kids coming to want to play for the reigning national champs. Thank you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Coming up next, it's our conversation with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey coming your way in just a second. But first, I need to tell you guys, look, as the sun comes out and small businesses are Back in business, LinkedIn Jobs is making it easier for you to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to hire 
uh, in interview faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs. Reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network. Over 110 million people out there. Add your job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. Spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. LinkedIn Jobs, they help you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires and leading competitors. Do you know every week about 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Rolling along here from SEC Media Days, and it's not a visit at SEC Media Days without a, a visit from the SEC Commissioner. It's funny, uh, Greg, I was talking with some folks this week, and, uh, and I was like, you know, every year we get to sit down with the Commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. They're like, wait, you get what? Like, uh, this isn't the norm. Like, uh, not every conference does this. Let's their commissioner sit down with uh, every radio station uh, on this you know, this this part of the world. So we appreciate you doing this every year. No one told me I had an option until, <laughs> until now. So I have to rethink my strategy. Yeah, you're like, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you ever just need to take a deep breath and collect yourself with all the craziness happening in the last yeah. year, two years, three years? Um, yeah, you know, from the, the COVID experience where you're kind of like working from home and it never stops. That was a good reminder of the need to be able to take a step back now, now and again and you know, vacation is not like what I would have drawn up when I was a young adult, like going away, forgetting everything. So things always press on you, but the, the effort's been to find space where you can take a breath. I ask you this every year, and so it's a tradition. I have to ask it again. Ole Miss wins the College World Series. South Carolina women win the national championship. You once again had two SEC teams playing for a college football national championship. Do you ever get tired of winning? No, um, not at all. In fact, each of those celebrations was, was special in their own way. Uh, the Georgia uh, post game was the most enthusiastic national championship celebration I've ever experienced. And I've been through a few of them. Um, the South Carolina women's basketball team played at such a high level. And I actually saw them 11 of their last 12 games. So they played at A&M. Uh, last week of the season was Gary's last home game. And then I was at every one of their games through uh, the NCAA tournament. It was really fun to be, just be a part of that and watch them play in different different venues. And then you know, Mike Bianco, uh, the head coach at Ole Miss, was at Northwestern State University in Natchitoches, Louisiana in the fall of 90 when I was there early in my career. So I've known Mike for 30-plus years. They barely got into the NCAA tournament and then went on this great run. And, uh, you know, we had half the field and then two bonus teams from the future uh, out in Omaha and uh, really proud of the way our baseball teams played. And the cool thing about winning the College World Series is you don't lose any games for like the next two months. <laughs> right. And you just get to enjoy that moment. So that was, that was a fun outcome for us all. You are really good at keeping a secret. A year ago, right here, the news broke that the SEC was indeed expanding and welcoming in two monster brands in Texas and Oklahoma. How hard was it for you to make those media rounds and not talk about it knowing this was kind of going on? Or discussions were yeah, being had? Uh, yeah, I was really good at keeping a secret, but I needed to be really, really good um, <laughs> because we lost the opportunity to, to update our, our presidents and chancellors the next day. So it happened right. on a Wednesday. Um, but that's, you know, that's life. And yeah. you kind of walk around with a knot in your stomach that, it, hey, maybe this breaks. Um, 
And then once the, the report was out there in the Houston Chronicle, um, you know, it wasn't done. And the reality was Texas and Oklahoma had to decide what they were going to do relative to their current conference at the time. Um, and when they did that, then they could approach us officially and we could consider it. And that still uh, had a lot of work to do. And, and I was very clear that you have to make that decision about your existing relationship. That puts you at risk because I can't guarantee uh, the vote in an invitation. You know, we thought maybe um, it would happen the way that it did, but no guarantees in life. You, you addressed their move, it, you know, of course, scheduled for the summer of 2025. A lot of questions on will they move, can they move sooner than that? I know it's about the rights deal and could they potentially buy it out. You said that's between Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12. Could, would the SEC consider, I mean, could you even throw money their way to help with the buyout? Or, again, is that line drawn in the sand? That's their problem. Uh, we would not, from, from our revenues, um, contribute to that, that type of um, exit strategy, I guess is the right term. What we've said from the beginning is we're going to be part of a, a respectful and orderly transition. In fact, both President Hartzell and President Harris, they identified that to me right up front when we were in the middle of media days and thereafter and talking about uh, when we were going to make an announcement the next week, how to do so. And what you saw was just direct statements uh, not a lot of fireworks and laser shows. and um, So that was the first part. The second part is July 1st, 2025, because that's the day after their current rights agreements expire. And we'll adjust if something changes. And so we'll be prepared to adjust, but we also understand the focus is on July 1st, 2025. Let me spin it this way. If you had two schools that were scheduled to leave the SEC, which why in the world would you want to leave the SEC? But if it were happening to you, wouldn't you want to do everything in your power to, hey, let's accelerate this because it behooves everybody. Like, you know, it's like somebody compared it to, you're, you know, you're divorcing your wife. And it's like, well, after our kid graduates high school, then we'll divorce. Like, what are you waiting on? Like, let's, let's move on. There are realities, though, that not embedded in the question, right. which are commitments made and impacts if those commitments are not fulfilled. And... You know, oh, yeah, it'd be great. We'll just go our separate ways. But that's not the real world sometimes. So gotcha. that's we're dealing in the real world. I know now all the uh, speculation is on if the SEC will add more teams. I know you said 16 is a good number now. You're pretty complete no matter what the other conferences are doing. I agree with that thought. Um, but you don't have to – I mean, don't you still have to kind of do your due diligence? Don't you have to at least – have conversations, hey, what if, if this happens, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And uh, years ago, we put together a strategic planning committee to think about what ifs. Um, that, that committee is not active right now. We, we had really good interaction and feedback about how to think through opportunities. Um, we're going to be attentive to what's happening around us. Uh, despite what was said about me or us last year, we're not out on the recruiting trail. <laughs> um, people have expressed interest. We've got to be respectful of their, their circumstances. I just pictured you as a door-to-door -door salesman. Yeah, right, let me tell yeah, you about right. the SEC. Yeah. No, I think we speak for ourselves. Right. And, and the compliment is that people want to be a part of the Southeastern Conference. And, but we want to do that in the same respectful, orderly way if we were ever to expand again. The SEC was left in the dust. I don't think it will be a phrase that's ever uttered in our lifetime. Uh, you and I in the past have talked about 
players getting paid, and, and you've always kind of said scholarships, room and board, all that stuff shouldn't be discounted when it comes to talking compensation and being a student athlete. Where are you right now on the evolution of the name, image, and likeness? And should, again, all these rules about, you know, can't use it as an inducement for recruiting, should there be more rules in place there? The existence or lack of NIL existence is really immaterial. It's upon us. And the issue is how do we manage that reality? And in 2019, our observation was we don't want this to be implemented through a patchwork of state laws. That's what we have. And we have that for very good reasons. Um, States acted and put effective dates in. And then some states pulled back from what they did in the last six to eight months. Uh, We had a court decision that altered the NCAA's approach on how far it could govern. Uh, And to have a national standard would require congressional action at this point. And and that's a tough, tough hill to climb. Uh, But I think when you realize what it is we do, we support competition. So Miami playing at Texas A&M, some kind of national standard forms the basis for that competition. Uh, Utah's playing in Florida. Uh, Oregon's playing in, in Atlanta against the University of Georgia first week of the season. All that's predicated on some national standards. I think we need that for name, image, and likeness. That's point one. Point two is you have a, a number of young people uh, being approached every day, and we know nothing about who's approaching them, what kind of deals they're signing. And those young people are trying to figure out different state laws and where there aren't state laws, What's like the university policy? That seems enormously unfair to expect the 17- or 18-year-old to interact with this person representing a business interest and, and get it right. We, we need a standard for, for them. We also need protections for them so that a, a two-star or three-star signing and attending a university who develops into a first-round draft pick hasn't like signed an agreement and taken $10,000 for a name, image, and likeness deal when they're 18, and when they're a first-round draft pick, they're entangled by that agreement. Uh, Those things need to be addressed. The most direct way to do so would be congressional action, but there's a lot of work to make that possible. Who should police it, I guess? You know, if if the school violated this rule, is is it the conference, is it the school, is it the NCAA? Who should police that? Well, I've testified if there is a federal standard, I think the federal government has a role in that oversight. Um, It could be delegated to the NCAA, but the NCAA would have to be a lot more nimble and effective in enforcement than we've seen in recent years. And so there are some options there. I wouldn't put it at a conference level because then you're back into variance over enforcement. And we've seen that before. And and I think some national enforcement mechanism, whether it's at the federal government level or a more effective strategy at the NCAA level would be appropriate. So like, I'm just going to use example, like we've had FBI wiretaps and all that to investigate that kind of stuff. I mean, do you think that's necessary for this kind of stuff? No, I don't think that's necessary. That's pretty extreme, and it hasn't been terribly productive when you look at the outputs from that particular case. Uh, I did talk about could the Federal Trade Commission have an oversight role. That may not be an enforcement role. They have limits on their authority. I'm not an expert in the agency assignments, um, and and I'm open to that. But I think there are mechanisms that can be solved. If we had the right framework, uh, we can address how that's overseen and governed. Uh, I have one more for you. I know you have some kids... I'm sure you've had to discipline them before, put them in timeout for fighting. Did you ever think you'd have to put two coaches in timeout for fighting? Not really. You know, <laughs> no, it's just, you know, we have disagreements. And I joke. And you so, sent an email yeah. out to them. Well, we have um, uh, you know, something a little bit more formal. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to have 
look, the, the reality is it's an uncomfortable time. And there are frustrations. Um, and so those frustrations boil over. I was very clear, they shouldn't have. And I think Nick's been clear that that shouldn't have been handled in that way. Um, what we've asked our universities to make sure they're following their state laws. And there are variants in the state laws. So as you go back to my recitation of what should happen, it's to take care of some of this frustration so that we can act from a common platform uh, again. And I think that would be healthy for the game. But I, I appreciate when we went into Destin, um, had a visit. Jimbo was our chair, did a great job, reported out to our athletics directors in a really effective manner. Coaches work together really well, but they're intense competitors. And uh, sometimes that boils over, and that's part of why commissioners have jobs. Always gracious with your time, the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey. Thank you so much for your time, as always, sir. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. My thanks to the SEC Commissioner, Greg Sankey, for joining us. And thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. Now go make your second listen. Check out some of our other great podcasts on the Locked on Podcast Network. you got Locked on Vols, Locked on LSU, Locked on Ole Miss, Locked on Bama, Locked on Bulldogs. You got them. We got you covered just about every SEC school out there. Go check them out wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chris Gordy. You guys have an awesome day. We'll talk to you very soon.